Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your shaggy host, Gary, here to talk about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Today, we are joined by my spooky wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. I thought you were going to like call me Scooby or something. Why would I call you Scooby? Because you said you were shaggy. Ah. Uh, Scooby dooby doo. Okay, I did not make that connection there. How can you not make connection with Scooby-Doo? Epic fail on my part. Absolutely. But what isn't a failure on my part is that we have a special announcement today. The Within the Mist podcast will be recording our very first live show at Paracon 2023. This is to be held on Saturday, October 14th. So mark your calendars and join us at the historic Heard Opera House in Arcadia, Florida. We will be joined by show sponsors, Feeling Paranormal, and guest speakers such as Mid-Florida Bigfoot, Past is Present, Tripping on Legends, Florida Paranormal Investigators, and Outcast Paranormal, just to name a few. There will be raffle prizes, demonstrations of ghost investigation equipment, and the opportunity to share your paranormal encounters on our show. That's cool. It definitely is. So be sure to check the links in the show notes for more details. With that in mind, Goldie Ann. Oh, God. What do you call a sleeping werewolf? Prince Charming? (gasps) Sleeping beastie. (laughs) Not exactly. You call him... An unaware wolf. Oh, my God. Fine. Whatever. Today's episode involves chilling encounters with wolf-like creatures that attack a family trapped within their home. These may be upsetting to some of our listeners. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because right before you said that, I said, that's cool. And then you said it might be upsetting to some of our listeners. There's a bit of a warped uh, mentality on this show. No one ever said I wasn't. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. The quaint community of Palmyra is tucked away in Maine, and even though its population is small, there are those who reside here that feel a deep sense of pride in their town. It's an idyllic place many are unaware of. In 1807, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts sought to generate money during the War of Independence by selling land near the present-day town. The area was quickly purchased by settlers who established the foundation for a vibrant community in the following years. This tranquil small town of Pymira, America, hides a curious secret, though. To this day, locals whisper of tales of a pack of wolves living deep within the forest that are able to transform at night into a fierce breed of monstrous predators. Wolves that roam the area by night and shapeshift into werewolves. Can I say cool there? It is kind of cool to change into a werewolf. Okay, good. Unless you're getting eaten by one. Yeah, puppy, puppy, puppy. For the rest of you, 
Join us today as we travel within the mists of Maine to tell you the story of the Palmyra Pack. That is like a, that's a, that's a mouthful, man. The Palmyra Pack. Yeah, I was kind of playing with uh, making it the Palmyra Wolves or the Palmyra Werewolves, but I like say the it. Palmyra Pack. It sounded better. Yeah, you can say it three more times fast. Uh, hopefully I don't have to. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. Chapter one, the mailman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why are you laughing about the mailman? Stocks chase mailman. In this case, you're not wrong. Locals have reported sightings of supposed werewolves in Maine that date as far back as 1857. One of the first man-wolf pack attacks was said to have occurred just 20 miles from Bangor, Maine, sparking a wave of folklore and superstition throughout the state. Was Stephen King involved with that? Some people believe that these cases of werewolf stories in Maine may have had a part in some of his stories. Silver Bullet. Chief amongst his werewolf books, yes. But this story begins as a wagon clattered over the cobblestone streets, the horse's hooves clopping regularly in rhythm. Mr. Mitchell, the mailman, clucked his tongue to encourage the team of horses along through the winding roads. Suddenly, a group of shadows appeared out of the trees at the side of the road. A pack of wolves seemed to have materialized out of nowhere and from the forest shadows. Their coats were a deep, glossy black, seeming to siphon away all the remaining light and leave them in a mysterious, ominous silhouette. Glowing yellow eyes were fixed upon the wagon and its driver, eerie and piercing. They watched the man atop the cart every step of the way. They moved silently within the trees, their giant paws pressing into the dirt as they stalked forward. There was no growl, no warning snarls, just an eerie stillness that enveloped the scene. Mr. Mitchell shouted and cracked the reins against his team of horses. They galloped forward, their hooves pounding frantically against the hard earth but they could not outrun the pack of wolves. They began to close in on the mailman. When the enormous wolves lunged forward with jaws snapping, Mitchell pulled out his rifle and fired off a series of shots. They echoed through the evening. He carefully aimed his rifle at one of the giant wolves that threatened the horse cart. He pulled the trigger as he had heard them howling in pursuit. He was sure it had found its mark, yet the animal stumbled only momentarily, but kept running with relentless hunger in its eyes. It continued to give chase with no sign of injury or slackening speed. The mailman felt his heart pounding as the wolves leaped after him. He expected to feel the wolves' teeth at any second. He could feel their hot breath on the back of his neck and he thought he was done for. But then, a miraculous thing happened. They began to slow down and eventually stop, their eyes darting nervously into the woods before they disappeared back amongst the trees one by one. 
That's interesting. The pack vanished into the forest's shadowy depths until nothing was left of them but the stillness of the night. After the surprise attack, other witnesses began to recount their own experiences of what they had seen. Reports suggested that the savages weren't wolves, but werewolves. This seemingly mythical creature of half-human and half-wolf. People from all corners of the globe have long been fascinated by the idea of werewolves. Me. To name a few. <laughs> According to European folklore, werewolves would transform into a beastly form at night and go on a rampage, devouring animals, people, and even corpses. The legends state that changing into a werewolf may be caused by hereditary factors or being bitten by an infected wolf. These supernatural entities could shapeshift at will or involuntarily when affected by a full moon. Cool. Maine has been home to a pack of these human-like creatures for generations, especially in the rural area of Palmyra, which only hosts a community of less than 1,200 residents. Despite werewolves being mostly stories to tell around campfires, one particular family would discover something more, something terrifying. Chapter 2, Lights in the Trees The Martin's farm was made up of rolling hills and open fields. A white wooden house sat at the top of one of these hills with a red barn off to the side and trees lining the entire property. They provided a natural border and blocked out any outside noise. In the distance, you could hear animals making noise, a sign of life on the peaceful property. But it was remote and away from rest of civilization. In 2005, after Eric Martin was injured on his job at a paper mill, and Shelley had to quit her own job to tend to him, the Martins had no choice but to downsize and find a cheaper place to live. After searching for weeks, they finally came across this old farmhouse that seemed to fit their limited budget. The front porch was weathered but sturdy, and when Shelley opened the front door, a cool breeze greeted them. The peaceful farmhouse could definitely be their new home. Eric loved the thrill of entering the ancient, silent forest that surrounded the house. The trees stood tall like pillars, and their trunks were twisted with age. He would inhale deeply and savor the smells of nature before spying on some of the animals from a hidden spot. He was addicted to the thrill of the hunt. So every weekend, he would silently weave through the thick foliage with his rifle in search of the local game. His collection of hunting weapons was diverse and extensive. He had a large variety of rifles, shotguns, handguns, and other hunting items, such as knives and ammunition. Along with the weapons were different ammo types, camouflage clothing, and other hunting accessories. Everything was neatly organized and kept in perfect condition. 
His wife, Shelley, had a strict policy regarding firearms that lived on the property. She made sure that the removal of each gun from the house was secured in a large steel strongbox within the barn for safekeeping. Eric and Shelley had a cherished routine of watching the sun go down below the trees each night. They would step out onto their slat-wooded porch, nestled in the shelter of the farm with the setting sun casting a soft yellow sheen across the landscape. On clear nights, Shelley would boil a pot of coffee, and they would sit down together to admire the rolling fields around them. They had found a very peaceful life. One night, as they looked beyond the tree line, they saw eerie, multicolored lights oscillating in the darkness of the trees. The lights were bright and mesmerizing, seemingly coming from an unknown source. The couple were captivated by the strange and mysterious sight and couldn't take their eyes off of them. The light being bounced off the trees as it swerved through the woods. Their son, Sean, stepped forward from the house, squinting into the dark, trying to determine what it was coming their way. He thought it was a poacher with a flashlight, but that just didn't seem right. Eric and Sean walked into the darkness towards the tree line and the mysterious lights. It was their plan to scare off whatever hunter was out there, and their flashlights illuminated tufts of dead grass while a chilly wind stirred the tree's branches. The night sky was heavy with low-hanging clouds that blocked out all but the faintest of starlight. With only their breathing to guide them, Eric felt a chill each time his foot disturbed an unseen branch, its snapping with a sharp crack. Suddenly, the mysterious lights vanished. Eric gestured for Sean to follow him, whispering instructions. He held his own flashlight low before them, the light painting the ground and leaving the rest of the forest in the darkness. He directed his son to begin his perimeter patrol with his flashlight off, creeping through the brush in hopes of catching any poachers lurking in the shadows. The two of them crept through the trees, their breathing silenced by the oppressive stillness of nightfall. Eric scanned the landscape with a vigilant eye, hoping to catch the potential trespasser off guard. He felt a chill pass through his body, as if a ghostly hand had brushed against his skin. His heart raced and he felt rooted to the spot, as if he could sense an invisible presence in the darkness. His heart raced and fear coursed through his veins like ice-cold water. He felt an almost primal instinct urging him to run away, but he knew he had to stay and protect his son. He knew this fear was far greater than anything he had ever encountered while hunting. Eric reached out and gently grasped Sean's shoulder, calling his name in a calm voice. The two of them stopped and stood alone in the clearing, their eyes darting around to make sense of what they had just witnessed. Though they could not find any trace of the lights, not even a track on the ground to give them a hint, of what they had seen.
what kind of ritual was occurring just within the woods of their farm, and why did it emit such an intense sensation of fear? I think they're scaring themselves for one. Being in a dark woods like that? Of course. Very possible. I've done it to myself. Exactly. Chapter 3. The Animal Den. That's a different story. A few days after the mysterious lights had hovered around the house, the Martin's 17-year-old daughter, Chelsea, heard the unmistakable rumble of her boyfriend's Nathan's truck engine. She stepped out onto the porch and she watched as he parked in the driveway and climbed out of his pickup, a bouquet of wildflowers in her hand. Ah, he knows how to do it. Since the farmhouse was so remote, it was a tremendous treat for the girl that he would make his way all the way out there just to visit her. Not wasting a moment, Chelsea rushed from the porch to greet him. The two turned away from the farmhouse and stepped out onto the sun-dappled trail that meandered through the woods. The two family hounds ran and barked alongside them, and a gentle breeze carried the smell of pine needles in the air. The two ventured deeper into the forest for a chance to spend some quality time alone. Mm -hmm. The two dogs bounded ahead of the hikers, their noses twitching and heads low to the ground, as they followed a tantalizing new scent. Without warning, the two dogs rushed forward on the trail, leaving the teenagers to follow. When Chelsea and Nathan approached, the two rowdy canines hopped around the opening of a large dirt mound, here, all alone in the middle of the forest. Vast pieces of wood and tree branches were haphazardly leaned on the structure, creating a thick wall of cover. Moss, dirt, and grass was placed over the entire den to hide it from view until they were directly next to it. The entrance to the lair was cut into a perfect circle, large enough for a man to fit through. The opening was shrouded in darkness, unable to be seen within. Tail wagging, the dogs pawed at the dirt with their sharp claws, trying to coax whatever creature was hiding inside to come out. Then, without warning, the two dogs stopped smelling and barking. Their ears perked up as if hearing a sound only their canine senses could detect. Nathan stood with his hand on the edge of the oddly round hole, his eyes widening. It was apparent that the den was intentionally constructed, but by what manner of animal? Chelsea tugged on his sleeve and whispered urgently, We should go now. Fear rising as her gaze darted back towards the entrance they had just came from. The boyfriend squinted and peered into the depths of the den, but he was pulled away by her grip. With his attention still focused on the blackness, he thought he heard the sounds of a low rumbling growl coming from within. Finally agreeing with her, the two hurried and made their way back out of the forest to the farmhouse. 
When they returned to the Martin home, the two teenagers found the parents sitting on the sofa. The parents listened intently, exchanging glances with one another as the teens recounted their story, but they had no answers. What had the dogs found, and was it connected to the lights that were seen previously? Chapter 4 The Attack on the Farmhouse A few weeks later, on Memorial Day weekend, Shelley made her evening coffee as usual, and even though her life had changed drastically since last year, this simple ritual reminded her of home, and she was determined to savor the moment. A mist covered the field, obscuring the landscape like a softly glowing haze. A gentle breeze carried the vapor over the fields, rolling in wisps and spirals of fog. The sky was almost black in the evening light, with the closest stars just beginning to twinkle as the sun set. Eric called out to the dogs, but they stayed firmly planted on either side of him, their tails tucked tightly between their legs. This was strange behavior, so he knelt and tried to coax them into their kennels with treats, but they refused. Eric realized that something unseen must have been frightening them. He felt a chill as complete silence descended over the field. He scanned over the forest for any sign of life, but saw nothing, heard nothing. Not a single bird chirping, not a squirrel scampering away, or even the chirping of crickets. Out of the silence, a howl erupted from the woods, low and mournful, like the distant echo of a lonesome wolf's cry. It seemed to carry through the mist, echoing off the trees and rolling over the fields like an ominous warning. Its sound was eerie and foreboding, rising from the forest depths like an unearthly call. Eric turned and his voice shouted across the yard for Shelley to get back inside the house. She clicked the button of the heavy yellow maglite and swept it through the darkness. It illuminated the porch steps and the grassy expanse beyond. She looked around, her brow furrowing in concentration, searching for something that she did not understand. The woman's hands trembled as she trained the beam of her flashlight into the dark woods. There, three sets of glowing eyes reflected in the flashlight. They seemed to be watching her from the edge of the clearing. Three sets? It's like Cerebus? Either a three-headed dog or three dog-like creatures. But even more, Goldian, is that two more figures stepped into the field and joined the first group, triggering fear to wash over Shelley. Her stomach dropped as she heard the deep growls of the beasts, and she quickly turned to her husband, her voice trembling as she asked him what they were. Even as an experienced hunter, Eric had no idea what they were seeing. He murmured to himself that Bears didn't stand on their hind legs like that. 
and they weren't this tall, eight feet at least. As he watched, the creatures moved with agility and speed, indicating something far more cunning and agile than any bear. The couple scrambled inside and slammed the door shut just in time to see five gigantic half-wolf, half-human creatures lopping towards them. The animals' eyes glowed like embers at night, and their claws clicked against the gravel drive leading to the porch. The couple peered out of the window in terror as the pack of bees prowled against their house. They moved their black bodies with determination, alternating between standing upright on two legs and running on all fours. The creature's baleful eyes were fixed on the house as if daring the couple to come outside and play. Shelley sprinted frantically from room to room inside, slamming the window shut and checking the locks on each door. She paused briefly to catch her breath before continuing in a frantic search for any potential openings. She discovered the two dogs huddled together in a far corner of a bedroom, barely visible beneath the shadows. Despite the whispers and gentle attempts to lure them out, they stayed rooted to their spot, too terrified to move. Eric's heart pounded as he peered out the window, scanning the darkness for movement. He was feeling frustrated as the guns were in the barn, and he was desperate to get to them for protection. He glanced around the quiet house, his nerves threatening to overwhelm him as he listened for approaching danger. Shelley was adamant, her hand on his arm firm as she said, Stay here with me. The husband's heart raced as he watched the wolf-like creatures prowling in the darkness of the field around the home. He felt an instinctive urge to protect his family. If only he could get to the guns. Perhaps he could get to the car and bring it close enough to the house that they might have a chance of getting away. He peered through the small window and scanned the shadows of the porch. Satisfied that there was no threats, he slowly opened the door and exited onto the porch. Of course he did. Nothing seemed amiss, so he took another step forward towards his vehicle. He eyed the 20 feet between him and the truck, every inch of it feeling like a mile. His pulse pounded as he calculated if he had enough time to get there, open it, and drive back to the porch. He prepared to take off running, knowing that this would be his life's most extended 20 feet. He scurried across the gravel, his hands shaking as he fumbled for the car keys. Then, the motion sensor lights snapped on, throwing his silhouette against the car into a stark relief and causing him to drop the keys to the ground. He felt exposed and vulnerable in the harshness of the nightlight. He froze as he saw them. Five wolf-like creatures, their yellow eyes glowing like searchlights, their sleek black fur covering their entire bodies. 
As the light timer clicked off and plunged the front of the house back into darkness, the creatures stepped closer, never breaking eye contact with Eric. He's dead. Thinking quickly, Eric frantically waved his arms again, desperately hoping the security light would flicker back on. Two dark figures lunged towards him from the shadows as soon as they did. But when the bright light hit the werewolves, it acted like an invisible barrier holding the creatures back. Eric wasted no time. He abandoned his plans of getting the car and raced back inside the farmhouse. He heard the feet scuttling on the gravel behind him, and then a chorus of guttural growls that seemed to bounce off the house's walls. The claws dug into the dirt as they sprinted towards the porch, clambering over the railing like wild dogs. They circled the house without pausing, racing around and around, claws marking the wood with their rough texture. The Martin family frantically dialed the police in a desperate plea for help. But no matter how much the mother begged and pleaded, the police refused to send anyone out their way. They had heard Shelley's stories of monsters lurking on the property and told the family to stay inside and lock all the windows and doors. Nobody was coming to their rescue. Did they know that it was too dangerous to investigate? It was almost as if the police knew what lurked into those woods beyond their walls. Rude. Tax dollars at work. The family was alone on the farm. Shelley carefully arranged the furniture in Chelsea's upstairs room to give her a complete view of the outside. From the window, she could see the five creatures standing side by side by side, on the gravel path outside their home. Their eyes were trained directly on Chelsea and Shelley's, who watched from the window. They had upright postures and were entirely inanimate, almost statuous, waiting to be invited inside the house. That's only vampires. Well, maybe they're just like dogs waiting to be invited in as well. Shelly heard the scraping sounds of claws scratching along the outside wall. She knew they were coming for the family. The muffled thumps and growling of the creatures vibrated like it was a drum beat. With each beat, her fear grew more assertive. Her heart raced as she imagined them breaking in and holding her family hostage. Guns were useless when they couldn't even call for help. But what else could they do? The four family members quickly hurried into the main bedroom, shut and locked the door, and huddled onto the bed. Fear coursed through their veins as they clutched kitchen knives and a small axe for chopping firewood in trembling hands. Outside, the thunderous sounds of creatures banging against the walls filled the night air, accompanied by their terrifying howls. Time seemed to stand still as long minutes ticked on, all of them silently praying for daylight. When the sun did arise, Eric and Sean were relieved that they hadn't felt the night before. Cautiously, 
Eric opened his front door and peered into the first traces of light. He couldn't tell if anything was out there. He called his son, who quickly arrived to help, and in a faint morning light they could see huge footprints in the dirt, with giant claw marks at the end. It was clear that something had walked on two legs. The family was horrified to see deep gouges in the walls and the floorboards. Clumps of dirt littered the ground from where the creatures had tried to tunnel their way into the home. The evidence of a near-successful break-in was unmistakable. The creatures had been so close in catching their prey. They had been hunting and stalking. Eric was convinced that the animals even communicated with each other in a planned attack. Were they werewolves? To this day, nobody knows. The howling of the wolf-like creatures in the night still echoes through the family's heads as they hastily pack their belongings, barely able to look at each other. The farmhouse was sold within days, and the family reluctantly departed with a relief at actually having survived. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I mean, they were the only ones to see it. But well, their farmhouse was far away from all other civilization. Well, yeah, but what I mean is they're the only witnesses. So do you believe them? Or do you just think they're just trying to get up some publicity? Yeah. Well, they didn't actually make any money off of it. In fact, they ended up selling the house and moving away. True. The Martin's family encounter with the mysterious giant wolf-like creatures is far from the only occurrence of its kind of Maine. Researchers are examining the Palmyra wolf pack and other sightings of bipedal wolves in Maine. Preliminary evidence suggests that these animals may be, in fact, an undiscovered species of wolf, requiring further analysis for a comprehensive classification. Speculation has arisen regarding the relationship between these cryptids and UFOs due to the mysterious lights. Some suggest that they originate from a yet unknown dimension. The lights were signaling their appearance. With many unexplained occurrences reported in this case, researchers have considered the possibility that the Martin House was close to a supernatural portal that could connect our world with the realm of spirits. If that's the case, Goldian, maybe your suggestion of Cerebrus, the hellhound that guarded Hades, may not have been too far off. Ah, cool. I want a three-headed dog. I'll put that on the Christmas list. Okay. While there is a certain degree of mysticism and folklore associated with werewolves, it is also possible that the Martins encountered an unusually aggressive wolf pack. Yeah, wolves don't stand on their hind legs. Some do. There have been indications of wolves standing on hind legs to get a better view. Now, walking and running. Say walking? <laughs> yeah, the running and walking a little different. It is possible these wolves had been affected by some toxin or illness which caused them to appear or act abnormally. Rabies is a common disease that causes irrational behavior in animals such as wolves. Wolves do typically grow far more prominent than many expect, and if individuals have never seen a wild wolf in their environment before, 
it can create an even more alarming experience to see how large these creatures can get. Yeah, I didn't really realize how big wolves were because all I'd ever seen was coyotes. And coyotes are like smaller than house dogs, more or less. Smaller than our dogs. Especially being as thin as they are. Yeah. But a wolf, I didn't realize how massive and fluffy they were. I mean, they're just, they're gorgeous. And dangerous. No, whatever. And dangerous. Yeah, puppy, puppy. And dangerous. My last time, my dying words. Given the Martin family's extensive experience as hunters, it is plausible to assume that they possess the knowledge and expertise to discern typical wolf patterns and accurately identify them as opposed to werewolves. So, should you hear howling while in the woods of Maine... Go run after them! No, do not go after them. Perhaps you should make your way indoors you may discover the Palmyra Pack. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about the Palmyra Pack. You can reach us on Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and have an email, Podcast at gmail.com, for any of you who would like to share. We hope you enjoyed our story of the Palmyra Pack and will come again for another episode. Until then, explore the dark, shadowy places and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys.